sorry. Dropped it. Hello, Stonehenge! Who takes the Pandorica takes the universe. But bad news, everyone. Cos guess who? Ha! It sent you lot. You're all whizzing about. It's really very distracting. Could you all just stay still a minute? Because I am talking! Now, the question of the hour is, who's got Pandorica? Answer, I do. Next question, who's coming to take it from me? Come on! Look at me. No plan, no backup, no weapons worth a damn. Oh, and something else I don't have. Anything to lose. So, if you're sitting up there in your silly little spaceship with all your silly little guns, and you've got any plans on taking the Pandorica tonight, just remember who's standing in your way. Remember, every black day I ever stopped you. And then, and then, do the smart thing. Let somebody else try first. Welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always, I am joined with... Hello, it's Scott, and yeah, we're nearing, almost at the end of our chronological look at Doctors this year, which is insane to think about. Feels like just yesterday we started with William Hartnell. We were so young then. (laughs) (laughs) It is crazy. How far we've come. I feel like we've been saying that every week, but it's absolutely flown by. And now we're already on Matt Smith, um, which I is crazy because like when we were doing like Hartnell and Troughton and stuff, like Matt Smith felt like a lifetime away. Mm. Like you know, it was like, oh god, that's that's way in September. That's happening. That's they've got a whole year to get through. Now we're here in September, and I'm like, fucking, what has happened this year? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely yeah. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, we've <laughs> only got five episodes of a chronological look left. That's insane. Damn. <laughs> insane. Damn. And then we end the podcast forever. That's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this week we are looking at the Pandorica opens which is part one of a two-part finale for matt smith last week we were looking at stolen earth and journey's end and this one is pandorica opens and big bang next week and pandorica opens first aired on the 19th of june 2010 which was a saturday and a upsetting 13 mm-hmm. years two months and 18 <laughs> days ago at the time of recording uh which is that is I don't want it to be that long ago. I don't... Yeah. Can we Can we stop it being that long ago, please? Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> uh, around about this time, I was getting ready to go to France with my school. Wow. Like, wow. And around, wow. like, just about two weeks later, I see Avatar on a school bus in France, and I fall asleep. Oh, this is then. This <laughs> yes. Is, this is then. I remember so, we talked about that, yes. right? So I'm, like, two yeah. weeks away from seeing most of avatar on a bus wow <laughs> the best wow. viewing of avatar you know it's a, it's a way james cameron intended <laughs> yes yes i think at this time i would be you know we're coming up to school summer holidays so i'd be getting mm-hmm. ready to go on holiday in the summer 2010 is the year that i went to florida so nice. it'd be a florida florida holiday that year um 
Yeah, just at, you know, I'm what, 2010, I'm 10 years old, so it's like what, P5, P6, something mm-hmm. like that, P5. I so, was you know, just P- living life. I'm just yeah. living life in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> I was P7 going on to secondary school the next year. So you're P7. September, which is insane to think about. So Christ, I would I would have been like P4 going into P5. Mm. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. 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 Um long time ago uh at the time the u.s president was of course mr barack obama and the uk prime minister was one david cameroon who would go on to ruin politics for me forever um (laughs) (laughs) uh, despise that man Mm -hmm. anyway uh could you guess scott as someone who was alive thinking and conscious during this day in 2010 what is number one at the box office? Number one at the box office. In the United States. It was yeah. summer, so it would be a family-friendly movie, I would reckon. It's the summer of Toy Story 3. I don't think it might... I think that might have been July? Toy Story 3? Hmm. Um, it was a year of... The Karate Kid, Iron Man Two. Am I close? <laughs> you you've said it. Oh, um, it's one of the three that you've said. Karate Kid, right? You are correct. Okay. <laughs> the Karate Kid is number one at the box office. I think this is one of the first times you've ever actually managed to guess it right. Uh, the <laughs> Uh, what's your memories of this movie? This is, of yeah. course, the Jackie Chan, Jaden Smith one. Um, I was a big fan of the original trilogy at the time, you know. I watched it with my mum, and I went to see this movie in cinemas with my mum as well, and I really enjoyed the remake of The Karate Kid. I haven't seen it in full since 2010, so it might not hold up, but I remember really enjoying it. Like, Jaden Smith was actually really solid in that movie, I mean... We cut forward, like, four years, and he's terrible in After Earth. I mean, <laughs> he's terrible in everything else he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, he, I mean, he doesn't really act anymore. He now makes music, I think. Um, <sighs> but, yeah, no, the I remember really liking the Karate Kid movie as a kid as well. I didn't see it. I saw it on DVD, so I would have either seen it later this year in 2010 or in the next year in 2011. Um because this was around the time whenever we would do a weekly shop, I was allowed to get a DVD from Asda for £10. So Ooh. that is what I would do. And I would, so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good way to watch movies. Just pick one up in the shops every now and then. Um, uh, what, what, and I I remember, remember, uh, what I remember Jaden Smith most for was his tweets. Do you remember his Twitter yeah, yeah. account? Incredible. Uh, his, t- <laughs> his tweets are one of the main <laughs> reasons I ended up discovering your movie sucks. Because yeah. he talks, because he talks about Jaden's tweets when he's doing his review of After Earth, um, <laughs> which is god, goddamn, so long ago. Uh, how how can mirrors <laughs> be real if our eyes aren't? If real? our eyes aren't real, these are good questions, though. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I think this was actually my first expose to the Karate Kid universe. Mm. Um, I don't think I had seen the originals before this, so the Karate Kid was my first experience. I've since gone back and watched every Karate Kid movie and have seen all of Cobra Kai, and I absolutely am obsessed with it. I think it's amazing. Um, 
Let's hope but, Cobra Kai season six comes out soon because available. those kids are <laughs> those kids are like yeah. thirty years old now. Just like, as well as the final season, I guess. <laughs> like Karate Kid is so old. There's a Doctor Who reference where one of the nerdy kids is like, "Oh, did you hear a woman is being cast as Doctor Who now?" Stephen Moffat <laughs> has left the show. <laughs> like that's how old Cobra Kai is. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're ab- you're right. They do make that joke in Cobra Kai. That's crazy. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I want to know which writer in the writers room is is the Doctor Who fan that stuck that. In. Um, yeah, guy, I'm on this show. <laughs> yeah, hundred uh, percent. Just before the Karate Kid, uh, the Karate Kid is only number one at the box office for a week before getting taken over by Toy Story Three. Oh, uh, so. which com- came out at the end of June and okay. uh, dominated for like. A couple three like three four weeks before twilight came out god damn 2010 man um before <laughs> the karate kid what the karate kid managed to knock over was shrek forever after right. uh which is i think an underrated shrek movie yes i really enjoyed shrek forever after compare it to shrek the third yes <laughs> it is the yes. second best shrek movie but that's not really saying much because shrek one is kind of <laughs> eh you know yeah shrek 2 is like a masterpiece (laughs) yeah shrek 2 is amazing shrek 2 is is genuinely amazing um shrek forever after is a lot of fun rest in peace smash mouth guy though like he just died the other day so sad that is sad sad uh but you know 2010 was certainly what we like to call a year in cinema um january is dominated by avatar and then you know, various movies come out. You've got your Iron Man 2s, your Toy Story 3s, you know, just constant sequels and there's no originality. What's new? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but that has all I've got for the On This Day oh. on 19th of June 2010. So, Scott, why don't you take us into your very extremely brief <laughs> behind-the-scene writer's part? Yeah, there's hardly anything to talk about this episode in terms of pre-production stuff, but the decision was made to film this episode in the penultimate recording block to give more time for special effects, which makes so much sense because we just came off of uh, Journey's End in the Stolen Earth, where they're shooting that in like March, we're finishing it in March, and the episode there is in June, so it makes more sense yeah. to, to, to start filming this final in in january i mean it comes out in june that's so much more convenient and ah god i can't imagine the time constraints these special effects people go under every week it's insane to think about (laughs) yeah i mean it's you know it's still something they face isn't it you know like imagine like like you know how last minute some of um chibnall's scripts had to be Oh, yeah. when they were requested like imagine having to do the special effects on that like dude you're no time at all to get something done it's brutal yep um speaking of deadlines the swapping of the production block put Stephen moffat in deadline hell as he describes it uh, he started scripting the final in september and october 2009 while the 11th hour was being shot so as he's writing this episode he's thinking back to the very first episode and being like hey i might change this i might hint at this so he was able to rewrite moments of the 11th hour as it's being shot as he's also writing the series final and one of those moments is like a brief shot kind of like the shot of nibbler at the very opening of futurama we talked about that shot in our episode (laughs) looking at the 11th hour yes uh, yes the 11th incredible shot 
the 11th hour was our fourth episode of the podcast yeah really early in the show <laughs> really early in the show and yeah it's, it's very much like nibbler where you see a brief hint of matt smith walking past the camera in the 11th hour this was a result of you know the fact that stephen moffat was able to write the final and figure out oh yeah i want this to be in the very first episode so he was able to get some reshoots in which is really cool <laughs> Um, and also, really cool. the, the 11th Doctor walking past the camera in the 11th hour is a future version of the 11th Doctor, where he, I think it's next week we'll see some brief glimpses of what the Doctor does that night. Um, uh, the filming for this episode started mid-January and Moffat finished the 1st of December, so he's finished a month in advance. Compare that to when we were talking about Russell T. Davis last week. Where he yeah. he's hardly able to finish it all. You know, he's he's handed in his script the day of shooting, the very first day <laughs> yeah. of shooting, which is insane. God, and yeah, that is according insane. to Stephen Moffat, the early draft was more sciencey, wyancy, but he just couldn't mm. get it to work. So he made it. I guess he made it more fanta- more fantasy based than anything else. Which it yeah. kind of adds to the theme of the series five being kind of like a fairy tale, which does get mentioned by um, River Song later in this episode. Speaking of River Song, first time this podcast we've talked about a River Song episode, I think, which is insane to think about. To, I could, ooh, I could check. I feel like it. It is insane. I feel. I feel like it might be because I can't think of what episode we've covered that River Song has showed up in. Did we do? We haven't done Silence in the Library, have we? Nope. Um, God, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't. Let's look at our our Matt Smith playlist because that's likely where it's going to be. Um, Matt Smith is famously the eleventh Doctor brain, so that's the playlist we have. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so Matt Smith episodes. We've done the eleventh hour, Curse of the Black Spot, Sarah Jane Adventures, uh, Dinosaurs in a Spaceship. 50th anniversary. I don't yep. think Sarah... Uh, She's not in any, any of those episodes, which is no. kind of insane that we're just reaching River Song two and a half years into our podcast for such an iconic is... character. Yeah. Uh, God, there's st- too much Doctor Who, isn't there? Yeah, there's we're, too much. we're still in an insane <laughs> amount of companions <laughs> and monsters we still haven't done an episode on. It's insane. <laughs> there's too much Doctor Who. They need to stop. They need to just stop doing it. <laughs> Well, that's all the pre-production notes I have. Would you like to jump into the episode? Yeah, let's jump straight into the episode. Are you lot working together? An alliance? How is that possible? The cracks in the skin of the universe. All reality is threatened. All universes will be deleted. What? And you've come to me for help. No! We will save the universe from you! From me? All projections correlate, all evidence concurs. The Doctor will destroy the universe. No, no. No, you've got it wrong. The Pandarica was constructed to ensure the safety of the Alliance. A scenario was devised from the memories of your companion. A trap the Doctor could not resist. The cracks in time are the work of the Doctor. It is confirmed. No, 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 not me, the TARDIS. And I'm not in the TARDIS, am I? 
Only the doctor can pilot the TARDIS. Please, listen to me. You will be prevented. Total event collapse. Every sun will supernova at every moment in history. The whole universe will never have existed. Please listen to me. Seal the Pandorica. No, please listen to me. The TARDIS is exploding right now and I'm the only one who can stop it. Listen to me. The episode begins with a not so problematic at the time, maybe more yeah. problematic looking back on it, scene of Vincent Van Gogh or Van Gogh, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, screaming in agony and terror in his bed, unconsolable by doctors and, you know, being cast and told he's crazy as he's, you know, he's ended up having a, like a psychic vision of the TARDIS exploding mm. and has painted that. Uh, as like a warning or a message to the doctor uh and i like as a kid or anything i like i didn't have any issues and stuff with that and you you were mentioning that there was some some chat on the old x.com about <laughs> um about this scene yeah there were some people thinking it's problematic because this episode kind of makes vincent van gogh's problems more the fact that he's just seen the tardis explode rather than the actual depression he lived through which was a obviously the main point of Vincent and the Doctor, like Vincent and mm -hmm. the Doctor was written from the viewpoint from Richard Curtis, who recently lost his sister due to suicide, and he wrote that episode in memory of her. And now the series finals, like uh, he's kind of depressed because <laughs> he sees a TARDIS exploding, which I understand. I, I I don't mind it either way. I'm not the biggest. I I don't think it's the biggest deal, but I understand some people really finding a lot to relate to in vincent and the doctor feeling upset with this plot yeah it's, it's, it's yeah, a I sensitive it. subject i get it as well but it, it's also like i've i don't know if this this one scene is saying that all of mm. the trauma and pain that vincent mangal feels is because he had this one psychic message like sure like can he not is he not a man of many depths and emotions can, yeah. can there not be many different factors that contributed to his you know mental state and well-being and maybe one of those was a psychic message he received of the future saying that a time traveler who visited him in the past and showed him his own future is going to explode in a fiery ball of mess is that too much to say is that is that unreasonable i don't yeah, think no, so i think that's um, fair <laughs> but yeah the only reason why you know vincent van gogh and um winston churchill who are about to get to is in this episode because moffat wanted this to be a sequel episode to every episode in series five which is why this episode is so front loaded with all these cameos and the only yeah. episode he couldn't really fit in was amy's choice understandably because most of that takes place in a fantasy world but you know he, he does get there yeah. he does he does a good job of making a sequel to most episodes and it's interesting that um we just did an episode with so many cameos where mm -hmm. every character is a previous companion to the Doctor in uh, Journey's End and Stolen Earth. Whereas here, most of the cameos are historical figures or aliens, basically. Which I think gives you a good contrast between um, who uh, Russell T. Davis is as a showrunner and Stephen Moffat <laughs> as a showrunner. So Stephen Moffat seems to be more interested in the, like, the sci-fi elements of the show. The fact that the yeah. Doctor can visit alien planets and... Um, historical people. historical yeah. people and um russell t davis is more um into the family stuff he's into the emotional arcs rather than stephen moffat which 
it's fair enough. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. It's a really good way of, of representing um, their two main ideals, uh, like broad themes that they bring to the show. Um, yeah. Uh, but we then get a scene with Winston Churchill where he is, of course, smoking a cigar um, and he's getting told about this painting. And it's like a very brief scene and rather inconsequential. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, a cameo for the sake of having a cameo. I don't I don't have any strong opinions about it either way. What I do like about this and about the opening with Van Gogh and all these other people that you're bringing in from other episodes is again we were talking about this before it's continuity yes. you know it, it 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 builds like this this structure and this form around the world and it, sure this continuity has nothing to do with the previous four mm. se- series continuity but this is now Moffat's continuity and from here he expands and builds his own little world which maybe that's maybe you know we're forever asking this question of why the chibnall era didn't work but maybe that's why it didn't work because chibnall's era didn't feel connected to this one but it also never established its own continuity you know it never had its own characters that came back or rememberable villains except the tooth guy remember the tooth guy he came back (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah he came back and then all of a sudden graham really wanted to do murder (laughs) yeah (laughs) which was completely out of character it was it was insane um maybe maybe that's one of the main issues chibnall has he never Mm. never felt like a fully constructed world it felt more like he was writing in like a knockoff russell t davis's world of doctor who you know he never made it his own thing Um, yeah stephen moffat makes this his own thing to the point where it's jarring that you get callbacks to the russell t davis era because later on there's a motif uh, where we see a cyberman head and the music from like 2006, uh, this 2006 two-parter uh, Cyberman episode starts playing the famous <laughs> Cyberman theme by Murray Golden. It's like, oh yeah, that was a thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And also, you know, that episode we were just talking about last week, where uh, the Doctor is in the TARDIS and he sees the PM- PNG images of like Martha and Rose and Donna, and it's <laughs> it's completely out of yeah. field. Yeah, yeah, it does. It always feels weird whenever they reference the previous era in moffat's uh time which when you get to chibnall and he start bringing in the jadoon captain jack it doesn't feel weird because it's like oh yeah no this is like this is this makes sense because we're not like we're not anywhere different or special right now you'd like this is this is just blanket doctor who don't worry about it Um, Uh, but going back to winston churchill um is this the last time we see a character smoking in doctor who because around this time you know smoking was becoming more and more um, like banned in public places so and mm-hmm. also in, t- in television it was a big deal and also in like movies like robert downey jr was no longer allowed to smoke in like iron man anymore or drink this might be the last time we see smoking in doctor who i could not tell you because it's not something i've i'd noticed go away you know it's it's not something that i ever have paid attention to mm-hmm. and it's not something that i've ever paid attention to now that it's gone um so i honestly couldn't tell you i i could not tell you when <laughs> I, if we I, ever see smoking again we might see like we might see cigarettes again but whether or not mm. they're lit is another thing or if they're lit if they're in someone's mouth or if they're in an ashtray or just in the hand you know like there's there's lots of ways you can have someone smoke without showing mm. them smoke so we, you know, whether or not we've this, this could be the last time we've seen someone draw smoke from a lit, um, you know, 
uh, tobaccoed device. Um, but, <laughs> like, um, but I can tell you. You know, around this time, Walt, the Walt Disney Company was starting to ban smoking from all of our movies to the point where when they do Saving Mr. Banks, which was about um, Walt Disney getting the rights to Mary Poppins, played by Tom Hanks, uh, they kind of allude to the fact that Walt Disney kind of died of lung cancer from too much smoking at the very start of the movie because he's introduced behind closed doors just coughing. I mean, it's never referenced again. You don't see a single cigarette in his hand. To, and that goes to the point where whenever you're watching like a Walt Disney Company documentary about Walt Disney, they remove all the cigarettes out of his hands. They photoshop it's the like, cigarettes. Which it's like is North insane. Korea, isn't it? You know, it's like this this is the history as we want it to be. Uh, like. So all of a sudden like Walt Disney is doing like almost like the victory salute that Winston Churchill does <laughs> in all of his pictures. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah that's fun. Love it. Dystopian as hell. If you're the Walt Disney company, wouldn't it be better to be like, yeah, Walt Disney got seriously ill by smoking. Don't smoke, kids. Rather than pretending yeah, it never yeah, happened. You, yeah, but you can't... You know, I, I guess that their way of do it, looking at it is like, we can't speak ill of Walt Disney for he is the god <laughs> who created this empire. He, you, We must weep at his feet and thank the mouse that he exists <laughs> yeah i mean um, walt disney technically is still alive he's frozen oh yeah he's, his disney head is World. frozen yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean he's he's, he's he's gonna come out of his hyper not hyper hyper sleep someday hyper soon. sleep <laughs> I, I don't know the correct word i was almost there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but um, he's gonna come out of his hibernation soon you know He's gonna play. Mm-hmm. He's gonna wake up and realize that Kingdom Hearts exists, and he's gonna become a big weeb. <laughs> yeah, I imagine if we ever met Walt Disney in Kingdom Hearts, I wonder what that would be like. He must you exist in, in Kingdom Hearts, right? Surely he's God in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> like Mickey Mouse exists, and but he we'd... created Mickey Mouse, and Mickey Mouse is king. <laughs> Who is above king? But God. <laughs> uh, but who do all the Final Fantasy characters worship? Who created Final Fantasy? Oh gosh, that's that. I don't know who created Final Fantasy off the top of my head. Maybe Walt Disney did that as well. I'm sure he did. I'm sure yeah, that was invented sh- sure, by Walt Disney yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. Walt Disney owns um, everything, so he might as well. <laughs> um. Anyway, the episode <laughs> we cut to a uh, fancy future hallway that's apparently a jail it looks like a car park um, oh, yeah. uh, where... <laughs> this, this location is the same setting as you know the dalek episode from season one this is the yeah. same location and you can tell that it's not meant to be a prison because it's not very prisony and there's no other cells and apparently no yeah, other prisoners it look, <laughs> it, it, lit- it literally looks like uh like a place you drive a car through like a big <laughs> parking garage um, but uh, River Song has a phone call with Winston Churchill, where she, where he's like, "Oh, by the way, I have to tell you a thing in one minute because apparently time is going to stop this call happening or something. Don't worry about it." Uh, and then River Song seduces a guard on his first day of duty and gives him a big kiss on the lips. But uh, it's it, it's a weird performance when she kisses him on the lips because the guy like immediately like is like, "Oh yes, kiss." Mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, he sticks out his lips massively. Uh, but she kisses him on the lips and hypnotizes him, and we get a funny joke where he's like, "Haha, you won't escape from us, River Song." As all the other guards look at him, and he points his gun at a silly drawing on a wall. Ha ha ha! 
Yeah, but yeah, um, uh, we find out that River Song has hallucinogenic lipstick. But my question to you is: Doesn't the hallucinogenic effect work on River Song too? Because she's wearing the lipstick. I imagine she's tripping balls at all times. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, she, she 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 does leave her message in a mushroom planet. So, yeah. uh, we then get River Song stealing some paintings, um, specifically stealing a one painting, the painting of the TARDIS exploding, from um, presumably Buckingham Palace, where uh, Elizabeth the Tenth is. But yeah. which that doesn't make sense because shouldn't she be on Space Whale? Uh, so like, yeah, what we find out space whale? in the beast below, we find out that for some reason she ages incredibly slowly, and this is apparently two thousand years after the Doctor met her in the beast below, according to some research I discovered. So this is right. many, many, many years in advance. So why? <sighs> <laughs> What's the difference in making it two thousand years or twenty or two hundred? You know, why 2,000? That's such an, a very specific number of years. And why does she age so slowly? Is she not a human? I, I guess it's all that royal blood. She is a Liz I person can after all. This. I can Google um, this. Liz 10. Doctor why does Liz who? 10 age so slowly? God, I, um, her government slowed down her body clock, keeping her effectively immortal. Uh, she thought she okay. was 50 and had been on the throne for 10 years, not knowing she always lived the same 10 years. Oh, yes, yes. They talk about it in the episode. They keep, like, wiping her memory uh, when they're in the space whales because she has to keep... It takes her 10 years to figure out the puzzle right. that the space whales are getting tortured. And so every 10 years, like, she goes to go free the space whales but then watches a video of herself being like, actually, we need to torture the space whales so that they'll fly us to safety. And then she goes, ah, oh, you're right. And then she wipes her memory and then does the whole thing again. Um, and until the doctor shows up and then they're like, wait, the space whales are wanting to want to save us. And we just decided to stab <laughs> them a bunch. Whoops. Well, I haven't seen that episode since 2010, so I have no memory. But I just told you everything. <laughs> just told you everything. That well, spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, it's been uh, a while we, since I've seen that episode. It's insane. It's not great. It's also, fine. Your I, description, it reminds me of, um, Peter Capaldi episode where he's punching through that wall and he's he's in he's also in a Groundhog Day situation. Yeah, but that episode's like way better than <laughs> the, the Space Whale one. Uh, <laughs> uh, we then River Song is then in a future Moss Eisley esque area, mm -hmm. um, talking to a blue man and a generic alien who comes in to offer them something. Uh, blue man, I've never learned his name, but he's a recurring character in the Matt Smith era. He eventually ends up working for the silence or with the silence and becomes a head in the box yeah. type thing because he gets like assassinated by these assassins that put heads in boxes. I don't know. This guy's a weird ass life in the yeah, show. His name is Dorium Amaldover. And yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> what I like about this scene is the fact we're actually on an alien planet, which sounds weird to say, but it hardly ever happens in doctor who you hardly ever see an alien planet most of the time yeah. you're on earth or you're on a spaceship but this is an actual alien I think, planet i think moffat's era was better like with rtd's era it was definitely earth or spaceship like that was mm. that was his two spots but i think moffat's era got slightly better with sometimes going to alien worlds um i'm trying to look for any example and like season six is like all on earth uh but <laughs> <laughs> 
series seven maybe um like rings of akatan that's an alien planet and that, that i remember that being cool because there was aliens everywhere mm. um and then everything else is is earth it's uh, cold war that's mars uh, I mean, the, the <laughs> series nine final mostly took place on Gallifrey. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's a river song doesn't take place on Earth, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. mostly Earth. It's always Earth and Doctor Who, isn't it? Which you know, with this Disney budget, maybe they can go to more alien planets. Who knows? No, I want to see. I want to see more Earth, please. <laughs> I want to see more Sheffield. <laughs> I and then yeah, you know when it gets to like Chibnall's era, and then not only are they on Earth, but they're everywhere on Earth all the time for yes. five seconds. Oh We're in Australia yes. right now. Oh my god, now I'm in Belgium. Wow. <laughs> that Praxis episode which takes place on yeah. like four different continents is insane. You don't need that many in 15 minutes of screen time. There's not enough time to do all that. It's insane. It is. It's, 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 it's dumb. Um, then we get a very fun scene finally with the doctor and amy where amy is staring at a wedding ring that she has found because of course if you don't know anything about series five at this point rory has been zapped into infinity and amy has forgotten that he exists and as recently i think in like the last episode or something like that she finds the wedding ring that because they were obviously engaged um and so she's like why is there this wedding ring what am i forgetting and that's an important part for later on yeah, I um, think I think series five is like the only season where there's kind of like a human connection that drives through this each storyline. Yeah, because I mean, so like the, after this, Amy and Rory line, just basically. get together. Yeah, after this, Amy and Rory are just together. That's their thing. Yeah, and there's, um, there's, well, they end up getting divorced at the start of season seven for no reason. And <laughs> yeah, it's a whole mess. <laughs> I guess I guess the idea thinking in series seven is is wait do they get back together in the same episode? Because I yeah. remember them being divorced uh, in dinosaurs. Yeah, we we find out they get broken up because uh, Amy never wanted kids or something. It's something about having kids, even though they did have a kid, and it, it's yeah. overly complicated for no reason. And then we kind of get back together at the end of the episode because if you remember, series seven was. Uh, the doctor only visiting them occasionally, like every six months or a year or something. Yeah, it was the beginning of the end because it yeah. was when they leave, they they die halfway through the series, and then Clara shows up, and it's like, oh damn, that's crazy. Um, yeah, but they aren't proper companions in season seven. The, the yeah, doctor just, just visits them randomly now. It, Which it, I quite like that that evolution of companions. Yeah, you know, where, where it's like yeah. Where we're kind of they, sick they, of a doctor, but we're like, yeah, sometimes yeah. Well, we want to have journeys yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just not all the time. We're adults now. Like... Yeah. <laughs> and also, in this scene, I find very interesting. They materialize on a planet, and we stay in the TARDIS the entire time. How often does that happen? We hear the materialization yeah. sound from inside of the TARDIS. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, saves on effects. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they, uh, the doctor tells them that they are going to go see the oldest written text in the known universe, uh, that no one's ever translated before, but they're going to do it because the TARDIS has an auto-translate machine. 
so they go and they travel to this alien world, which is very video game looking. Yes. It's very <laughs> 2010 CGI, but somehow it looks worse than like 2006 CGI. And I don't, I, I don't, like they must have changed CGI engines where they can get like, you're like, oh, we can make mm-hmm. a denser, more realistic looking texture, but we sacrifice lighting because the lighting is atrocious. Um, it, it kind of this, reminds me of Alice in Wonderland, which came out yeah. roughly around the same time. But Tim Burton. Oh yeah, that had Alice really, really weird special effects as well. Yeah, like although just, like at least in that, it's like stylized, you know. Yeah, but ju- just the um, giant mushrooms both made me think of Alice in Wonderland and also you, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're implying, uh, but they see they see the text against the the carved into the stone, and it says "Hello, sweetie." And I remember not being a huge fan of that as a mm. as a ten year old because uh, I was like, oh, that's silly. Like the first writing is "Hello, sweetie" from River Song, but you know, uh, I'm not as angsty or as frustrated. Yeah, I, I, I don't so care. Like totally I don't fine. care either yeah. way nowadays. I'm pr- I probably felt the same way as you did as a kid, but you know, yeah. now we're older. Doctor Who is allowed <laughs> to be silly. You know, this is. What, you know, this aired when I was about 12 or 13, so I was starting to be more into the Doctor Who needs to be more serious camp. Gritty but, and serious. Yeah. It's a real show for adults. I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the original draft, message would actually say, Doctor, I need you, which is apparently a reference to the Avengers, like the 1960s Avengers show, which gets brought up on the <laughs> show course. all the time. Yeah. Uh, apparently the main character John Steed would always say Mrs. Peel I need you to attract the attention of his colleague at the start of every episode and I, huh. I, I, I'm just wondering this now you know in Sarah Jane Adventures every time we, they need Mr. Smith uh, Sarah Jane Smith yeah, has Mr. to say Sm- yeah, Mr. Mr. Smith, Smith I need, I need you. you I wonder if it's the same reference Probably because Russell T Davis and Moffat like the same old shows nobody's watched. So. <laughs> we need to do an episode on the Avengers someday. Find out really not good before episode. we do, not before we do Blake Seven. There, there's there's a pecking True. order here, and also we um, need to do Legends of Tomorrow, where Rory basically plays the Doctor, kind of. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, also be- below the message is the Greek symbol of Theta Sigma, which is the Doctor's nickname in the Time Lord Academy, which is a nice little touch. Oh, that is a cute touch. Yeah, that is a cute touch. Um, then they they travel in the TARDIS to the Roman era, where there's a heap of Roman soldiers, and Amy's very horny about mm-hmm. them, uh, until one of the Roman soldiers, whose actor I recognize from something, and I don't know what, but I recognize his face. Yeah, like he's... a comedian or something? Yeah, he's a comedian actor. He was... I think he was a CITV host for, like, many years, so he has a pre- presenter on CITV, so you might mm. recognize him from that. That might be sure. rare. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't get his name, and it, I can't be arsed looking, so you're... You're on your own there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then they're like, oh, hello, Roman soldiers. And he comes running up and he's like, Cleopatra wants to see you. And he's got a big kiss mark on his face because obviously this is the hallucinogenic uh, mm-hmm. lipstick working on him. He takes him back and it is River Song dressed up as Cleopatra. And she's like, hi, doctor, look at this painting. And we see the very famous Van Gogh painting of the TARDIS exploding and 
it's got like the swirls like it's starry night and stuff like that and i believe that every single person that ever saw this episode or considered <laughs> themselves a fan of doctor who at some point owned this poster um because i know that i i definitely owned this I... poster and had it on my wall for many years many I de- years i definitely didn't own the poster but it was my wallpaper on my computer for <laughs> maybe six months i would say it was my wallpaper on my phone until like earlier this year um, <laughs> yes I... <laughs> yeah it's just uh it's an iconic painting it does look ace you know it's it's yes. an ace painting it's very um, nice but also this is the end of the cold open which is seven and a half minutes long that's quite long yeah, it's for crazy. a cold open um god knows how long the coldest open is on doctor who like <laughs> i was recently watching season one of good omens for the first time and like episode four or five that cold open takes place half an hour into an episode like the theme yeah. song comes in a half an hour into the episode which was absolutely insane <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? The pacing of the Good Omens show. It's, yeah. it's a weirdly paced show. Uh, there's, there's a lot of flashbacks on Good Omens, but you feel like it's not entirely important to the plot, you know? It feels, <laughs> feels more like padding than anything else. But I, I, haven't, I haven't continued season two yet, so I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm, I got halfway through season two, and now I'm on the one train, uh, one piece train. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying one piece at the minute as well. Um, yeah, uh, good omens podcast probably not coming from us anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless um, Neil Gaiman is a huge fan and wants to come on and talk about <laughs> any talk, talk about anything but his Doctor Who episode that got ruined. Um, yeah. <laughs> At least he got one uh, good episode in. Yeah. Uh, but the Doctor and that after the opening credits are all definitely running on horses and mm-hmm. cutting back and forth between them also in the tent because, you know, this is Moffat, so we like to mess around with watching things in time. Yeah. Um, but basically they figure out they need to go to Stonehenge and they arrive at Stonehenge and conveniently Stonehenge is super old so they can just shoot this presumably on location. Yes, um, uh, yeah, they actually got to the location for one night. So for, so I would say like half of the scenes we see Stonehenge in, in this episode is the real location, but some of the scenes are fake. And the intent behind that was, oh yeah, if we go to the actual real-life location, it's easier to then fake it, because they only got mm. permission for one night, so it's impossible to shoot the entire episode there for one night. So I, I, you can never tell when it's fake, though. So it's really good work. On they do part. good. They yeah, they do a really good job hiding it. Um, I just wish they did a better job hiding the underground Stonehenge, because <laughs> that looks fake as fuck. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Doctor's basically talking in this scene that you know the Pandorica, because they, that's the name of the painting is the Pandorica opens or something like that. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know that you know the pandorica is this ancient story and it's basically the same story as pandorica's box which if you know pandorica's box it's a box with all the demons ever in the world in it and then this lady called pandorica is like wow cool and opens it and fucks everybody um i i'm pretty sure that's like the rough synopsis of that story. Uh, i in... haven't read since i was a kid like she like like not fucks as in yeah. literally fucks okay. fucks as in like <laughs> metaphorically screws yeah. over okay. for the rest of time by introducing evil into the world mm. um <laughs> 
I don't remember so why well she opens. You knew exactly what I was going to say. I I don't I don't remember why she opens the box. I I I feel like she's like tricked or like if she opens the box, she gets all of her desires, but also mm. evil gets released. Like there's something like that. Um, it's not a story I've thought about since <laughs> I was in primary school. So <laughs> also, you know, as you were saying that, I'm randomly just thinking, Moffat really loves to do storylines about paintings because you know, three years later, yeah. Fiftieth anniversary. I wonder if he ever thought about having Van Gogh paint those pictures of <laughs> uh, Gallifrey, like somehow connecting that to, you know, the Time Lords are really inspired by Van Gogh, and they that's, get him. That's onto maybe Gallifrey. that's maybe like a, a coming up with the story idea note form before you even start draft one. Yeah, sort of. That that's when that idea gets thrown in the bin. Like, <laughs> but yeah, the entire time this episode, whenever we're speaking about two. Uh, what the Pandorica could contain. They always speak about how it could contain, like, the most uh, dangerous man in the universe. Obviously, every... Like, Moffat's intent was the entire time we're just telling you the Doctor is going to go in Pandorica. <laughs> yeah. And they make it very obvious, yes. especially in this next scene, when they all head downstairs um, into the heart of the uh, Pandorica's box, I guess, into the heart of... of um uh stonehenge uh where it's suddenly this massive set with a really high ceiling like how yeah. they didn't look like they went that deep underground but don't, don't worry about it and there's fake cobwebs everywhere i love the yeah. fake cobwebs um <laughs> yeah the pandorica <laughs> chamber was actually inspired by indiana jones which is obviously uh, a big movie of course yeah like, it's like one thing you think about when you're doing this what's kind it of about story. <laughs> what's in- uh, indiana <laughs> jones uh, the director even played the uh, John Williams score on the set so that the actors could move around as if they're actually Indiana Jones, you know, like the pacing, <laughs> just to nail yeah. the pacing of these, these scenes Get down. a feel of it, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah this, no, was, this was apparently the biggest set of New Who at the time, which is kind of insane to think about because it feels so small, but then you have to think about all those monsters you have to fit in there later on in the episode yeah so yeah i guess it does make sense for it to be the biggest set how yeah you know do you think like like how funny like and like oh my god we didn't even realize how low budget it was back then do you think like matt smith and karen gillen have when they're working on like guardians of the galaxy or (laughs) uh the game of thrones show where the budgets are insane and they're on these huge ridiculous cinematic assets and it's like wow the doctor who was held together with glue (laughs) and sellotape (laughs) <laughs> oh god yeah. like just the fact that so many of these sets in doctor who was just reused week to week insane to think <laughs> about like yeah just that must have been so jarring to actually jump onto like a proper production a big budgeted <laughs> yeah. show yeah or movie yeah like, um yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all the, uh, the, uh, the doctor river and amy wound wind up holding these torches which was actually actually a suggestion from the director uh he, he wanted it to feel more cinematic which does work fairly enough uh they did it's however, better than them just walking around in a lit yeah, cave yeah like, it, it gives know. off some good light and i would say but however, they did worry that Matt Smith would burn down the set because of how clumsy he is. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and also, Karen Gillan was very frightened to hold these torches because they're actual torches with fire on the end of it, which is nice. fair enough to be actually scared of it because, you know, one wrong move and you could die. <laughs> you could nah, you'd be fine. <laughs> I've held... 
I, okay, so, flash back into my life, um, because I was very cool at school, um, I used to go to a circus skills club after school, um, <laughs> where we would do, like, stilt walking and uh -huh. juggling and things like that, uh, and one of the things we did is we did torches, and we, we had big fire torches, and we and, would, do, and, we would and, like, swing them around our heads, yeah, and, and we used swallowed to put on, like, the these fire big shows, torches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we never <laughs> swallowed them but the like they are really hard to actually hurt yourself with mm. it's crazy like they're they're they are really big and the fire is way further away from you than you think it is mm. the most is like you do feel a heat because you're like wow this is fire fire is hot but you're never really in much danger with them um you know, as, much, as as long as you are aware, it's fire, so you're always in some danger. Um, <laughs> but you know, as a but, kid, yeah, no. as a kid, I think we had too many talks in school about firework safety and shit like that to the mm. point where I was paranoid about fires for quite a bit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, like I would hear uh, fireworks outside and I'd be like, "Oh shit, my house is going to burn down." <laughs> Jesus, we used to, with that circus group thing, every year, there's a big country park uh -huh. uh, in the village I grew up in. Like, it's a massive country park. It's absolutely huge. And every year, they would hold this huge, huge thing. Um, I don't want to dox myself, so I'm not going to say what it was called, but you'll know what it's called. I'm going to type it to you, see if you've ever heard of it. Um, I might have to go But the... the they they used to hold this huge event where it was like at halloween everybody would come into the country park at nighttime and they'd walk around and then we'd be doing our show with like the fire sticks and stuff like that and then at the end of it they release like a million fireworks uh in, which is <laughs> like just releasing fireworks essentially in the woods uh, so you know people didn't people weren't so concerned about fire safety out here in the country uh so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've heard of it yeah <laughs> okay yeah yeah um it was a lot of fun, though. They were amazing shows. Amazing shows. Yeah. Like, I just remember one point, like, my assistant teacher, who I spoke about last time, who knew David Tennant for a bit, like, she came into school with a burnt jacket because her son got too close to a firework. And she's like, see, Jesus. this is what's going to happen to you. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're just susceptible to propaganda. That's it. You're just really susceptible to propaganda. Um yeah, you, you won't see but, me blowing up Parliament anytime off of... Actually, maybe you <laughs> will. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but this is the scene where they're walking around this big Pandorica box uh yeah. and giving non-stop hints that it's the doctor like every line the doctor says it's like you're talking about yourself and then river literally is like by the way he's talking about himself yeah. um <laughs> which is which is stuff you don't pick up on when you're 10 though and so when like i'm watching this when i'm 10 years old and then at the, the twist mm. in the next episode when it's like oh this is for matt smith or it's this episode i don't remember but you know where it's like this is this sells for matt smith and it's like oh my god holy crap this is so smart so clever moffat you're a god you know like this is this is genius level writing when you are pre-teen to early teen um yeah. which i think is why moffat helped shape a whole generation of really annoying doctor <laughs> who fans yeah as a kid i did not pick on this pick up on this either and as a grown-up i'm just watching the episode being like yeah, I get the hint, and I'm just waiting <laughs> for the moment where it's revealed that the box is for him, because that's all they talk about in this episode. That's like 80% of yeah. the episode, just hinting at it, and just waiting for the box to open. Like, it's insane. The, the entire episode from here on 
is either underneath <laughs> Stonehenge or on top of Stonehenge. Like, we go back to the Roman village at one point for, like, two minutes. But <laughs> this is the rest of the episode. Just these two sets. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> it is. Um, but, you know... That's the thing with this episode as well. It's like I remember this episode being amazing. Yeah. I adored this episode when it first came out. It's like holy crap, this episode was incredible, you know. And then when the finale tops it, it's like oh my god, amazing. And then watching this episode back again, it's like why this isn't as good as I remember. Stop. What what's going on? <laughs> like it just doesn't it doesn't hit as much. And I don't. Yeah. It's 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 probably just because I'm no longer that. You know, I'm now a, a mature adult man, my whose light just fucking died on him. Uh, <laughs> who, you know, I'm just in a different headspace completely when it comes uh -huh. to consuming media, and I've seen it so many times. You know, it's never gonna have that first fucking experience. Um, never gonna for, live up to those memories. For me, the absolute just feels way too small. Like we just came off of uh, Journey's End and the Stolen Earth. I keep getting those titles backwards for some reason but you know what I'm... <laughs> but yeah but... journey's end is the last is end <laughs> <laughs> but you know those, that episode had a huge budget because you're getting back every guest star in in starring roles not just cameos and yeah it just feels so much bigger but according to the director this episode these two parts were about the same budget as any other episode of series five or less, mm. according to him. So, no. so you know, when you're at a series final, you need... To, I would say you need a bigger budget than most of the other episodes if you want to make it feel bigger, but... Yeah. Uh, and also, like, you know, this is definitely, if we compare it, because we've looked at Eccleson's mm. and Tennant's final episodes these past, like, month, and their final episodes are a lot more cinematic feeling for yeah. sure like eccleson's one feels like holy crap everything's coming together and then david tennant one is holy crap everything is coming together after three seasons you know of, of build-up so you've got an even bigger payoff than when it happened with eccleson whereas this one is more just look at all the aliens isn't that mm -hmm. cool um, yeah, and and most of the aliens don't really cost that much money because they're just getting props from a prop department next door. That you know? all, yeah, that they've that they've had for five years. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> but yeah, my theory is that maybe this episode was shot cheaper than the next episode. They saved for money for the next episode because next episode yeah. is when they go timey wimey madness. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do think like the series finals get better for matt smith as they go on like the series seven um the name of the doctor you know mm. obviously building up to the uh six the 50th anniversary it was just i remember that being incredible just absolutely incredible you know oh yeah um, um I, I was unsure about name of the doctor at the time mainly because of a whole clara narrative when she's running around mm -hmm. the green oh yeah no footage. i, I was <laughs> It was there was a peak me disliking Clara time, but I've <laughs> since I've since grown to adore Clara as a companion, and she's mm -hmm. one of my favorites now. Um, so I'm okay with it. I I see. My problem is I think I need to revisit Doctor Who from series one again because I I think I need to get back into the narrative of Clara because every time I revisit her, I'm like, yeah, I see I see more interesting stuff about her, but I'm not entirely hooked on her yet. But I feel like mm. if I watch, you know, watch it from beginning to end that's the thing you know like more. like I, as as an annoying teenager 
you know uh i just i i could not appreciate clara as much mm. as I can appreciate her as an adult with much better media literacy. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she's good. She's underrated, I think, as far as companions go. I saw a goddamn tweet saying that Yaz was underrated. I was like, fuck off. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't understand the love for Yaz, but you know, if, if you like Yaz, fair enough. Yeah, whatever, I, man. I don't yeah. understand. The 13 Doctor stands are they're a world of their own. Uh, it's like people that like star trek discovery people that like star trek discovery (laughs) and 13th doctor who fans i assure you are the same people (laughs) like (laughs) like even dan we both love dan but even dan doesn't have i love dan for the memes though like i love dan because of like doctor (laughs) who poop is the one reason i love Dan because he made him into the best companion Like, what, what was Dan's character? He was the best person ever. He was the nicest guy. That's the, in- he was, that's the entire his, He was the nicest him. guy. He was the most selfless dude that ever lived. He doesn't need soup. He was Jesus that's what made Christ. Evil Dan, that's what made Evil Dan so iconic. Because he's the polar, you know, he's pure <laughs> evil. He is darkness embodied. You know, nobody needs soup more than him. Uh, <laughs> My favorite meme is where he sees the kids at Chris at, at, at Halloween. Sorry, Halloween. <laughs> I don't know why I keep getting things mixed up, but when he sees yeah, the kids yeah, at Chris yeah. at Halloween, and um, he closes the door on them, <laughs> like that's a poop. Yeah. And then the adult, I like when the adult shows up, and then he gives the adult all the sweets. Uh, that's brilliant. <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to the episode. The doctor takes a minute. He's got some really fun lines in this mm-hmm. scene. He takes a minute to figure out when he says everyone's going to show up. That means everyone. And Rivers the whole time is like, Doctor, everyone, everyone. Uh, but he's got some fun lines about the Daleks and the Cybermen teaming up. And he's like, Oh, Daleks are so angry all the time. And you know, he's got some really fun mm-hmm. Doctor quips in here. And I just, I adore Matt Smith's performance as the Doctor. In- he's so good. Is the 11th Doctor always this slow? Because later on he's talking to Rory without realizing he's talking to Rory for a solid minute. Yeah, no, like... no, Matt Smith. Yeah, no, Matt Smith's Doctor is always that slow. Yeah, because <laughs> like his whole thing, like his whole thing is he's like really fun and quippy, but like mm-hmm. socially completely inept. You know, and like yeah. you, there's there's many times where he is so. And that's what made like in retrospect his relationship with Clara great and especially when capaldi comes in because capaldi's even more socially inept than (laughs) matt smith's doctor was and so it was like he would just be rude and awful to people and clara's there looking at him like doctor what are you doing um but you know i love him god i miss capaldi's era if the 11th doctor or 12th doctor had a friend go up to them and talk about cancer (laughs) at least he wouldn't yeah no they would be able to have a proper conversation they wouldn't just be like bye you know i'm too awkward for this this is too awkward for me sorry uh, i mean they never address it again you know it's, it's, nah, it's no big deal that's why <laughs> yeah uh god it's insane it's 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 crazy as well when because like we've we've talked about chib Knowles talking yeah. about his intention with those episodes and his intention is so good and mm-hmm. his idea is so good and then something gets lost in translation yeah you know and it's 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 very sad but uh anyway a bunch of bad guys show up and everybody goes running out of the tomb off um stonehenge i mm-hmm. i don't know how else to describe it you know yeah it was really exciting as a kid listening to um river song list all these aliens cybermen oh Alex, yeah Tarin, sycorax the slovene the zygons 
Like, she even lists off some tortured villains, apparently. So, like, I was Amazing. so excited. I was so excited. And then they just stand around a big box <laughs> and do nothing. <laughs> they do. That's what happens in this episode is people stand around and, and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, they just wait. This feels like classic Who filler. <laughs> where it they're really just, does. They're just waiting for the cliffhanger. It feels like a it feels like a prologue more than anything. This feels like a mini sode, you know. Certainly doesn't feel like it needs to be forty minutes long. Forty eight uh, minutes, insane. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, this episode's longer than an average Doctor Who episode. You know, forty two minutes <laughs> somehow. Yeah, that is that is insane. Um, although this series is kind of all over the place, it's it's between forty three and then forty eight, mm. um, kind kind of inconsistently. Um, but yeah, maybe the BBC was a bit more lax with their window, you know. Yeah. So the episode continues as everybody goes outside to look at the fact that, yes, there is going to be lots of aliens in the sky. But before that happens, look over there. There's a bunch of Roman soldiers. Let's go talk to them instead. That's more interesting and definitely will fill <laughs> out the episode longer. So that's good. Yeah, this is the point of the episode where we're both sitting here like, Oh, the Pandorica speech is already about to begin, the Doctor's big speech of the episode, but then it doesn't happen for another 15 minutes. It, this episode yeah. just feels like it's just padding, which I feel like I've said before, but, you know, it's just padding. It feels like episode three of The Enemy of the World, where it's like, actually not as bad as The Enemy of the World <laughs> part three, but, you know, just waiting yeah. for the cliffhanger. It's, for me watching this episode i'm waiting for the speech and i'm waiting for the cliffhanger because mm-hmm. those are the only things that are really memorable um watching this episode in a vacuum i guess if i was if i'd been going through series five rory coming back is a bit more of a big oh, bigger yeah. deal uh, like i remember that reveal being really really exciting um when i first watched the series but because we're just watching this as like an episode uh the thing that i care about is the speech and the ending those are the things that i remember and that still have an emotional impact on me um and this stuff with them being at the roman camp and figuring out that river song had been lying to them and the slow teasing reveal of rory and and you know amy and that just fighting a cyberman for five minutes it's like okay i'm gonna look at my phone while this is happening i guess (laughs) yeah you know it just feels like you know the cyberman stuff is really cool i I do love the body horror element of the cyberman stuff oh yeah there's the human skull and the like snapping of the mask yeah that's terrifying yeah it's absolutely terrifying for sure but the actual fight itself that adds nothing to Mm. anything (laughs) uh we also get a little conversation between the doctor and amy where the doctor is trying to gradually hint about the fact that amy is missing something but she's not entirely getting it yet she's she's getting kind of emotional about it because she's holding the engagement ring box which which um matches her gloves and i think that's you know it's a sign that it belongs to her because it matches the color of her mm. gloves, which is a really nice little touch there. That is um, a good touch, yeah. But yeah, we get into the whole mystery box element of Amy Pond, which I'm not a big fan of because the doctor's like, oh, your your house has too many rooms and the house was empty and there's, uh, you're a big mystery, Amy. Your life doesn't make sense. Well, f- fucking doctor, none of our lives make sense. <laughs> like, there's nothing special about like you have too many rooms Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
you know, that's true, but like I think I like I don't mind the Amy mystery box scenario so much because I think the payoff is worth it. Like the reveal that River Song is her daughter mm. and, you know, her connection to the doctor after all and you know, her relationship that she goes on to have with Rory and stuff like that. I think that that all makes her character worth it in the end where it's not a frustrating like where if you look at somebody like ray from star wars where it's like you know you were you were mystery boxed by the mystery box man himself jj abrams but then they didn't figure out what the answers were and so the answer is that your dad was a clone of palpatine that looked nothing like palpatine and ran away (laughs) and nobody cared about him but they cared about you because you were the son or that no you were the daughter of the clone (laughs) of palpatine yeah uh you know so it's it's you know like that's a mystery box that doesn't have a payoff because it feels like they made it up on the spot whereas the mystery box of amy and river song and amy's like life and future and relationships and stuff feels planned out even if it wasn't fully fleshed it feels planned out and feels connected and like it makes sense yeah you know yeah it certainly does feel like Stephen moffat had series five and series six planned out i don't think he had series seven planned out because there's an awkward period of you know amy and rory are still here for five episodes and their Mm -hmm. plot in in those five episodes are a huge mess but (laughs) we'll get to them eventually we haven't covered an episode of series seven yet apart from we've barely touched matt smith's era it's incredible (laughs) there's so much doctor who to cover (laughs) yeah we've done a lot of eccleson we've done a surprising amount of eccleson um, mm. um but yeah but, as yeah. we're having this conversation uh they realize we're getting shot by the cyberman hand and the doctor runs out in front of it and he says look at me i'm a target which is a great line and also another great, line, a great line is where um matt smith says it's like being an organ donor except you're alive and screaming which i absolutely love <laughs> <laughs> he's got like you know his he's got so many good lines in this episode mm-hmm. uh, matt smith does but i feel like every episode even if it's a bad episode with matt smith he's got one or two good lines you know mm-hmm. um he's he's always always electric as the doctor but uh they end up fighting these things the doctor gets electrocuted by the arm so amy has to fight the head by herself and it's just an excuse for her to end up in a, a separate room from the doctor yeah. so that rory can save her by stabbing a cyberman um and almost stabbing amy in the head uh but it, it's, she passes it's a, out. It's, yeah it's a really fun sequence because the situation keeps yeah. getting worse for amy you know uh, the cyberman head starts growing tentacles really and it's it's it force chokes it chokes um amy and then the helmet opens up the skull drops out of the head <laughs> and then yeah the, the, and the head it keeps like snapping, snapping at him her. like a piranha yeah. <laughs> which i really yeah. love <laughs> and you know uh, um steven moffat was considering making a cyberman head an actual villain of an episode because it's like it's, it's a really solid concept you know i i mean he comes back to that idea a little bit with handles you know, mm. except he doesn't make him a villain. He makes him like a pseudo companion. Um, and, you know, usually um, I have a big issue where the Cyberman is presented as more of a robot. And here it's kind of a robot, but you can just imagine it's kind of a defense system in the armor, I would say. But what they, they, they talk about, like, doesn't Matt Smith, like, explicitly say, like, you know, the human body inside that Cyberman is dead. It's looking for a mm. new one. Like, it, it, it still wants that human flesh in it. That's why it's trying to gobble up Amy, because it's like, you can be the new meat sack inside this <laughs> robot. Uh. <laughs> and, um, 
yeah, the, the Cyberman is armless, of course, and they actually get an amputee in to be the Cyberman, which is a really cool use of an amputee. Um, although they did yeah. go back and do reshoots where the guy wasn't available, so they had to green screen the arm in some of these shots. But either way, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but Amy passes out when Rory saves her, and then he, the doctor he comes almost in. stabs her in the head. By the way, yes, her yes, head is right next her. to this wall. <laughs> yes, uh, almost murders her, which would have been a very interesting turn of events for the episode. Um, <laughs> I mean, he does murder her least... later on. You know, whether it's now or <laughs> yeah, twenty-five but, minutes yeah, from now, <laughs> you know, he murders her in a much less violent way. Um, but it leads to a very fun scene where the doctor starts talking to Rory as if he's never been gone. Like mm. he just defaults back into, oh, Rory, hello. Yeah, let's do all this stuff. By the way, <laughs> this is happening. And, you know, what's, what am I missing? I feel like I'm missing something. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very classic, mm-hmm. quick paced. One character isn't realizing something obvious comedy, yeah. uh, but it, it works. It works so well. Like Matt Smith plays it brilliantly. And uh, Arthur Doville is the perfect straight man for it. You yeah. know, it's, I, I it's like brilliant. this version of the doctor where his brain is running too fast and he, he can't slow he misses down obvious to things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, yeah, um, it's uh, Arthur Doville as Rory as the Roman does get two big finish box sets. Good on him. Because <laughs> also they yeah. couldn't get Matt Smith or uh, Karen Gillan because the guests are too huge now. So it's busy they Hollywood money, Deville. baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, we were just discussing this. Arthur Deville doesn't do much TV or film work anymore. He does the occasional episode of TV shows here and there, but instead he does more stage work. He's the lead in Oklahoma on the West End right now. So good on him, I guess. Yeah, no, good on him for sure. I'm sure he's very happy doing that. It's not not an easy task. Yeah, that's know? one of the main reasons um, why he left Legends of Tomorrow to just focus on stage work, which is a shame because he was the main character of Legends of Tomorrow. I really enjoyed him on that show when he leaves after series one and only becomes a recurring character. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That's a, okay. So he's made of series one and then he leaves. And uh, he's the main role the main in anymore. series one and two. He gets a recurring role in series three where he, he, he gets his mind erased. And also there's an episode where John Barman tries to kidnap him. And I, I, I think he works with George Lucas in one episode where I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> Yeah, I, everything you've told me about that show sounds mental, but it's a CW show, so I just like actively don't want to watch it. Uh, the, sh- the show is kind of a Saturday morning cartoon, and sometimes I used when I, when I watched it, I sometimes dug it, but sometimes it was just so ridiculous I couldn't get on board with it. Like there's mm. a story arc where the season opens and there's a unicorn at Woodstock killing people with its horn, and one of the characters. Uh, gets his nipple grazed by the unicorn and he loses his nipple and they send the unicorn to hell and then at the end of the season uh, the unicorn comes back with the nipple and the nipple reattaches to this guy and then the guy turns evil because the nipple was in hell <laughs> jesus christ that's that's a lot <laughs> it's insane <laughs> that is insane that's a, that, that it doesn't sound good though it doesn't sound very good but it does it, sound it, insane it's good in a bad way, if that makes sense. It's more like a B-comedy yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. Um, 
but anyway, the Rory's very sad, and he asks if Amy's going to remember him uh, and if he's missed him. And the Doctor doesn't say anything, but he looks very sad. And then the Pandorica starts to go all glowy and weird looking. It actually holds up really well, I think. The mm. Pandorica itself, I think it looks rad. Um, like that green glowing light within, like it, it looks cool. It looks cool. Also, there's a thing with big black cubes in matt smith's era because they big black cubes come back remember the episode where he has to like stay on earth for like a day yeah yeah, yeah. the power the cubes of three which yeah was a chris chibnall episode and it was it, the first two acts of that episode were really good i mean it fell apart remember, towards re- the end <laughs> i remember really liking that episode yeah um but the doctor climbs up on top to see all of the aliens have finally arrived. They decided that they were sick and tired of looking at all these son, uh, Roman soldiers, mm-hmm. and uh, they they land they or they don't land, but they kind of like hover above. And there you can see <coughs> there's like Easter eggs out its ass with these spaceships. Yeah. You can see the like spider ship, the like crystal mm-hmm. thing from the um, Chris, Christmas episode with the spider lady. Um, I don't remember the name of the episode. Um, yeah, the Runaway like, Bride. Yes, the Runaway Bride Christmas special. You can see that spaceship, um, which is just the immediate screenshot that I'm looking at. I can make that one out. Um, <laughs> there's probably like a billion more. Um, and there's a Suntaran ship. I see a Suntaran ship that isn't just a ball. It's got the big spiky side things yeah. on it. Um, because I wonder when that started. Mm, I wonder when yeah. that started. So this scene, the mill, the product, uh, the special effects studio really wanted it to look like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and I think they nailed all it. The it looks yeah. really good and the Doctor in the spotlight looks really, really good. And oh, it this, looks amazing, yeah. And of course, it's, it's Matt Smith's Doctor so the speech really starts off with him dropping the microphone and apologising. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> and you know, as, as, as a kid, this speech was so epic and I, oh, I, yeah. wound, I over the summer of 2010 I wound up uh, memorizing every word in this speech <laughs> wow wowie <laughs> but you know 13 years later and I completely forgotten about it to the point where now I think it's just kind of underwhelming it's still solid but it's underwhelming I would say I see I don't know like I watched it this morning and it didn't impact me and then I'm watching it again like right now for the show and I was like god that was awesome so I don't know maybe it just depends on what mood I'm in but I I loved this speech I also loved it as a kid whenever like I would like I one of my favorite parts of watching Matt Smith's era of Doctor Who is for him to give a speech like I'm just like you know get to the end of the episode so Matt Smith can give a big monologue please that's all I'm here for (laughs) that's all I care about because nobody can give a monologue like Matt Smith he just it gives me goosebumps every god damn time i'm listening to his doctor give a monologue it's brilliant and you know if this was series seven or six you know i am the doctor would be the main (laughs) and it would be even better i'd be like i'd be like i would be i would be like floating in ecstasy i could not (laughs) stop if that was playing right now it'd be incredible (laughs) i I do think the song kind of quotes i am the doctor in a couple of places here and there but it's it's an original score here. It, we're not at the stage of Murray Gold not having enough budget to make music yet, <laughs> you know. And overusing "I Am the Doctor," so it, it's it's an actual song he uses in the scene. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. But it's still, it's a good scene despite the fact it's missing "I Am the Doctor." Um, <laughs> really, really enjoy it. It's it's definitely, I think, you know. hello sorry my brother walked into my room it's definitely it's definitely i think you know one of 
Matt Smith's most iconic speeches. Like if if somebody's watching like through David Tennant's era of Doctor Who and they get to Matt Smith and then they're like, oh, I don't know if I like him. I don't know if I want to continue with this Doctor. I, I always say, just wait till you get to Pandora Opens. Mm. You know, or Vincent and the Doctor, obviously, because that's one of my favorite episodes ever. But I'm like, if through Series 5 you're still not convinced and the finale doesn't do anything for you, you're probably not going to get on board with his Doctor because, like, I think this is such a good litmus test monologue where it's like, if you watch that monologue and you're like, ooh, I want to see more, you're going to love the next two series because that's all it is. The next two series is just Matt Smith giving monologues at the end of every episode, you know? <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> um, around the time this came out, I remember seeing um, there's Comic Con footage of uh, Sylvester McCoy reading out this speech, and I think Paul McGann also read out the speech oh, at fun. one point, which is really fun to hear previous doctors do speeches. I want to hear that more often because it's it's just mm-hmm. really fun to hear their take on it. You know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah sp- that is fun. This speech still holds up well enough. It's just something that's not hitting me right now. And I'm not sure yeah. what that is. I feel like it's more to the, to the fact that the Doctor's kind of, like, clumsy during this speech, where he's like, oh, you're whizzing up round and I can't stay concentrated. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, yeah. Lot of this, a lot of his speech isn't really... Um, the speech at the end of the first part of the Angel 2-parter... Where the doctor's like, oh, there's one thing you never put in a box, and that's me. Is that the quote? Yeah. Is that the quote? Does that foreshadow it's... the Pandorica? Is that the exact um, quote the doctor says? There's one I thing. I think in... so, yeah. There's one thing you don't put in a box, and that's me, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Okay, I didn't realize that was foreshadowing until I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he shoots a gun at the end, and uh, Graham Norton pops up as a little cartoon character, if you remember. <laughs> Yes. Do you know uh, what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um. As a cartoon, ca- I don't. I know what you're talking about with the scene. I don't know the screen part. <laughs> so when the episode originally aired, I think it was only in England. Um. Up. Up. The the show after Doctor Who was some Graham Norton show, and you know in America when they were about to put on the next show, and they put up like a, a little graphic saying, "Up next, the Graham yeah. Norton show." Well, it, yeah. Well, at this iconic cliffhanger. Graham Norton as a cartoon just pops up and is like, yeah, Graham Norton is coming up next. <laughs> I'll actually send you a I hate, Hold on. <laughs> I hate things like that. I'm so glad that's not a staple of British television. Could you imagine if that would happen more often? I would hate that. It takes me out of the show completely. Like, Yeah, two seconds. I'll find a clip for you where Graham Norton makes fun of it. <laughs> I'm loving Amy Pond in the new series. Actually, recently, recently, I achieved a lifelong ambition. I appeared on Doctor Who. Yes, I secured the prestigious role of man ruining the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't see it, the BBC ran a trail, right, with a cartoon of me over the end of Doctor Who. Right, that's that's what it looked like. (laughs) Yeah. 5,000 people called in afterwards. (laughs) They love me. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) To be fair, it was annoying. So, especially for Doctor Who fans... Oh, that's fun, at least. They made fun of themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, 5,000 people complained about it, apparently, which is that's wild amazing. to think about. 
And that's not the first yeah. time Graham Norton accidentally ruined an episode of Doctor Who. When Rose first premiered, I think he had a show after Doctor Who as well. I think it was like a, a Joseph and his multicolored dream coat kind of show or something. And they put on the microphones by mistake. So when you're watching the episode on TV, you can hear Graham Norton rehearse for the show after Doctor Who. <laughs> And that's during oh like the God. opening scene where Rose Tyler is walking around the mall and about to be attacked by Autons. And speaking of Autons, they show up in this episode. Shall we j- jump back in to Doctor Who? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, back, back, back to the episode. So the episode continues as Rory gets very upset that Amy doesn't recognize him and he has a conversation with the Doctor about it they don't really dwell on it too long like he he's pretty understand he's like oh okay i I understand and then he like just is like okay i'm just gonna talk to amy and try and get her to remember um which i guess just it's it's that rory determination you know yeah the man i mean you know we'll wait as as a kid i knew you know i was like getting to the point of a critical watching doctor who critically to the point where i knew something was going to go wrong and you're just waiting here for like almost 20 minutes for something to go wrong you know what's gonna happen <laughs> but that's a whole episode you just know where something's gonna happen but you know you're just waiting i mean that's the, that's the issue with part ones in general though isn't it mm, like, not really. like any part one you're always waiting for the end because the end will be a cliffhanger that builds you into part two you're like how how's this gonna end and it's gonna end badly you know and you know it's gonna end badly like think like you know infinity war you're like you know that's part one of course it's gonna end badly so that they can win in part two because that's just how stories work (laughs) you know part one of infinity war still had a story you know we're not just waiting for the cliffhanger to happen you're not just waiting for a magic box to open and characters to appear you know (laughs) like stuff happens in infinity war (laughs) Does it? Yes. <laughs> they have a they have a big fight. They have a I know they have a big fight that's like straight from Phantom Menace. I don't really remember Infinity War that much. There's a lot of emo- of emotional stakes in Infinity War, you know. Uh, yeah, of course. Well, they, you know they've had ten years for Infinity War. Yeah. You know they got <laughs> one series for this finale. Like. <laughs> but still, it just um, it feels like there should be more stakes here because. Again, you're just waiting for something to happen. It you're is. Just... It does feel drawn out, especially at this end where there's we're at we're cutting between like three scenes for the next twenty minutes, and it's like especially this opening bit here with this scene when they start to find out, figure out that the, you know, when uh, River Song lands the TARDIS in mm. Amy's house and finds out that all the uh, Romans are Autons. Like, at, as soon as that, like, it takes them, they're like, wait, hang on. What do you mean? What's going on? Huh? What's that mean? Huh? As we're watching all the Romans yeah. suddenly start to act strangely and it takes forever for that final reveal to actually come in where they all, like, get, like, taken over by the nesting consciousness. Like, that, I get what you're saying, that this ending part especially is is, is dragged out to, to really stretch that runtime because, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> is there not a lot of substance. Uh, yeah, because uh, River Song lands the TARDIS just outside of Amy's house, and it's smart on Moffat's part because there's no point where River Song is like, where am I? I have no idea where I am because obviously she grew up in around this house because she was best mm-hmm. friends with amy and rory and i presume moffat was thinking about 
around about now? Is that like you know like a future twist you could implement? But I feel I'm like sure if, it's I'm sure it's written down somewhere. Yeah. But you know, if he was thinking of that, it feels like there should be a moment in series five where Amy and Rory are like, oh yeah, do you remember our best friend Mel? She always said this. You know, <laughs> it feels like <laughs> there should have been more foreshadowing to Mel because when that twist happens in series six, when they find out they grew up with River Song, essentially. Yeah. It, it feels like it comes out of nowhere even before you know Stephen Moffat planned that out far, quite far in advance. I, I guess it's just like it's hard like how do you fit a conversation around a childhood best friend without it seeming like obvious foreshadowing you know I mean how do yeah. you how do you fit that into a story where it's like oh, you're gonna naturally bring up your childhood friend from when you were eight I uh, mean <laughs> You know, he could have done it in this episode in the conversation with Amy when Rory is trying to jog her memories. He could have been like, you remember when we were kids, me, you and Mel would go and do this and we we spent all all this time together and, you know. I guess, but at that point, if you're going me, you and Mel, like the audience is going, who? What, what do you mean you and who's this Mel? You've not mentioned Mel before now. Like you really, you need to show it in like a flashback of them mm. as kids playing together earlier in the season but then like you can't do that unless you're doing the reveal of who mel is this series you know it's 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 a messy twist to kind of reveal um because it's being told like out of order obviously because timey-wimey nonsense um, <laughs> but yeah um river song runs upstairs to the, in the house and she goes to amy's bedroom and she sees a book about roman history and she sees the um the pandor um God, I'm right to say Pandorica. What's Pandora's Pandora. pop book? Yeah, Pandora. Okay. Yeah, the planet Pandora, like an avatar. <laughs> I'm about to watch Avatar very soon, by the way. Like I'm working Good. through James James Cameron's filmography. I just watched Terminator, and I, you know, I just watched Terminator, and I thought the Cyberman scene earlier on in the episode was very reminiscent of Terminator, and I forgot to mention that. <laughs> Terminator's a good movie. It's Terminator so good. 2's the best one, though. It Terminator is, 2 yes. is the best no, one. No, actually, yeah. Genesis is the best one, which stars <laughs> Matt Smith. <laughs> yes, you're right. Uh, no, Terminator, Ter- Terminator 2 and Aliens are phenomenal movies. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I'm, about to watch, I'm about to watch the first Alien, and then I watch no, Aliens. Nice. And I'm about to do a David Fincher watch because the podcast Blank, Chatter- Blank Check are about to do a Fincher miniseries, and I just realized I haven't seen any of his films, so... I've seen one of his movies. I've seen the one he did with Nicolas Cage. Right, um, okay. <laughs> I don't and, remember and what it's called. It's Metal. Which Raising alien Arizona? movie has... Which, which alien movie... I don't think he did Raising No, that's Ethan did. Cohen. No, that's no. Ethan Cohen. Um... <laughs> David Fincher is the Seven guy, Fight Club. Yeah, uh, might not be. It might not be David Fincher that did. Um, but you know, I'm about to see. David I'm, I'm about to see Paul McGann in one of the Alien movies. I'm excited for that. I was thinking. I was thinking of David Lynch, not David Fincher. Oh wow! Okay. Um, David Lynch did a movie with Nicolas Cage called Wild at Heart, and it's mental. Yeah. Okay. Mental. It, mental see, the movie. O- the only movies yeah. I've seen from David Lynch is Twin Peaks, the series, and the movie, which is so. You not seen Dune? Is- Have you not seen the original Dune movie? I've seen clips. I've seen shirtless. Oh yeah, see, I've seen the whole thing. The whole it's a, it's such an interesting vibe, um, but yeah. You yeah. should watch Twin. Well, I I keep saying we should do a Twin Peaks podcast one day. I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I do. Twin Peaks is on my list, but there's so many other shows, and it's so slow to start Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, like, I understand. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we need to do a Twin Peaks podcast. It is one of the most insane t- experiences you will ever have. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, we also get, uh, just before that scene with River in the house, she's inside the TARDIS, and she's looking at the date of 2010 mm-hmm. in June 26, and she goes to leave, and then a really cheesy crack appears on the screen, yeah. and the voice goes, silence will fall, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's awful. And I just wanted to you, mention it, because it's really bad. Yeah, you can tell that Stephen Moffat didn't really know what the silence, actually, maybe he did know what the silence was at this point, because... There's that clip in the lodger where Amy is stuck on a TARDIS the entire time because it's an Amy light episode. And she looks at something and she looks concerned and then she looks away and then she doesn't acknowledge anything. So maybe he did know what the silence was at this point, but this feels like he doesn't know what the silence was. It's very strange. <laughs> God, I love the silence. They're such a good villain like the they're they're i think my favorite uh matt smith villain arc yeah. and i hate that they just ruined them they make <laughs> them so not interesting by making them into a good guy religious cult you know mm-hmm. well here's a little sneak peek preview for you in our schedule next year it's the 55th anniversary of the moon landing and we might oh, do boy. the uh day of the astronaut no the day Day of the Moon? <laughs> what was the first episode called again? The impo- One of the episodes was called The Impossible Astronaut. The Impossible Astronaut and then Day of the Moon. Yeah, okay, I was right. <laughs> yeah. The Day of the Astronaut was close enough. <laughs> I love yeah, we, uh, yeah, we might do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We then get a very heartbreaking-ish scene with Rory and Amy where like rory's trying to make amy remember and she's kind of remembering but not quite Mm -hmm. but she's also like she's experiencing emotions that she can't understand like she's crying with joy and happiness but she doesn't know why she's feeling those things and it's it's very sad it's very sad yeah Um, Uh, we we kind of sorry we kind of briefly touched on this earlier where this is kind of the last remnants of like Moffat's human connection in terms of like storylines because if you think about the next series final that's all timey wimey there's no emotional heart yeah. to uh, the wedding of River Song really I don't think it's just mostly timey wimey which lost my mum as a casual viewer of Doctor Who you know because mm. she was still into yeah. the show in series 5 because there was still an emotional connection but then it just became I, th- I think Stephen Moffat really loves his mystery boxes and um, how yeah. does the doctor get out of this situations that I'm going to foreshadow like when he gets shot on the beach and <laughs> he gets a bit my too mom, much my mom was kind of the opposite where she started series 5 with me and she wasn't a huge fan of Matt Smith but as things started going on and by the time we were on series 7 she loved mm. Matt Smith and she was like he really grows on you as the doctor and he really becomes like one of the really great ones as the doctor and I think he's great and then like Capaldi came and she dropped it like completely off right. um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, she I, made it through I, Matt Smith. I feel like my mum kind of uh, dropped off around about next episode, but she still tried to cling on to it because next episode is just timey-wimey and kind of confusing if you're not really familiar with a lot of sci-fi tropes and stuff. Because mm-hmm. next episode is kind of mental from what I remember. It's been years since I've seen it, so I'm looking forward to digging back into that one next week. 
Yeah, same, same. Uh, as the scene is going on with Amy and Rory, we're constantly cutting back between uh, Matt Smith and a river song as well uh and this is where the really prolonged like their autons by the way mm. happens and it honestly takes forever and they're not really talking of anything of interest um but it, it builds up to amy remembering who rory is the second that he yep. basically turns into an auton because you know tragedy um and he starts like fighting against it as all the other autons happen and then the doctor gets captured and we see all of the villains or some of them anyway that come in um there's there's quite the smorgasbord of costumes here isn't there yeah all of the practical villains that's been introduced in <laughs> doctor who basically because the cgi budget isn't there so there's no slovene there's no adipose um yeah you know there's a fair yeah. decent amount there's even weevil weevils and blowfish from torchwood i haven't seen the blowfish i think they're in the background somewhere i haven't really caught them there's also the Yuvondi, uh, Yuvondi from Sarah Chain Adventures, apparently. So I haven't seen that either. It's kind of like a cricket man. But this is also where we get to see the Power Ranger Daleks again because they don't yeah. do anything ever. And I don't remember if we see them again after this. We might see them briefly for like a shot. Um, I think they show up. Did they show up in the chibnall era i feel like they did uh, and we all clapped and is... cheered and gave a thumbs up because there was like a, a power ranger dalek and we were like hey nice one chibnall well done what and is the official it. name of these daleks because i keep power ranger daleks no power, <laughs> power ranger that's what they're they're the power ranger daleks because <laughs> i'm trying to google as i actually need for proper names to find out google power ranger daleks power ranger uh... daleks what do we get? Mighty Morphin Dalek Rangers on R slash Doctor Who. That's not how I'd like anyone. <laughs> that is, they're talking about the Daleks. They're talking about those <laughs> But Daleks. I need their the proper Dalek. names. It does start with a P. It's Paragrime? Paradigm? Uh, da, 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 da. I, I don't know. I've always called them the Power Ranger uh, Daleks. The, we're called the Paradigm Daleks, apparently. Uh, going to TARDIS Wikia, which is the best source of any Doctor Who information really <laughs> i'm clicking on appearances victory of the daleks the pandora opens the R wedding of river song and asylum of the daleks and also the time of the doctor yes yes i knew that they the time of the doctor is that uh that's the christmas special episode? where the doctor regenerates it's it's a Ah, it's, yes. It's a very In, vague um... description it's 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 matt smith's regeneration episode apparently yes, they show up yes. there but, you know, very... like they, they show up very briefly. They show up very briefly. Yeah. And also very in the adventure game City of the Daleks, which was which was a series of video games on the computer that you could get for free that was released in like two thousand and ten. So mm. which, which I, I always felt Which which I played was... as a kid and then my laptop never could work with the games Amazing. really. <laughs> the those uh, Daleks, they always always felt like they were meant for something bigger yes. and they never they never did anything interesting with them yeah um it felt like it felt like moffat kind of chickened out of using them because of the kind of backlash because a lot of people were comparing yeah. them to the power rangers or the teletubbies you know <laughs> yeah yeah which do you, you know because they're such bright broad colors yeah. it's, a, it's a very it's a very um interesting choice to make it doesn't look terrible i don't hate the design of them 
I mean, you also, know, I just wish that yeah. I knew more about them. <laughs> and these, these Daleks, of course, infamously appeared in the 2010 Christmas idents on BBC One, where they advertised all their Christmas programming, including uh, kind of a spin-off show to Little Britain called Come Fly With Me. It's that mm. terrible show where David Williams and yeah. Matt Lucas run an airport and it got reviewed it's it's terrible apparently and there's that one infamous sketch where uh they played japanese women who really like martin clune and cool. matt lucas does a really cool impression of an asian lady it's <laughs> it's really cool it's it's neat uh, that was a long time ago uh yeah. <laughs> um but yeah the uh the doctor basically you know he's like why have all the my worst enemies all teamed up and they were like we all teamed up to lock you in this box doctor mm. ha 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 uh because you're the biggest threat the universe has ever seen and the doctor's like no you've got it wrong you can't lock me in a box please don't do this this is very bad for everybody as rory loses control of his body and shoots amy um with his little auton hand and the episode ends mm. with the universe imploding um or you know like all the stars blowing up and everything turning to darkness which is kind of like a yeah that's where we're at with doctor who series finales at this point it yeah. always has to be the universe <laughs> ends and it's the same still to this day with the things like flux and stuff like it's, it's mean, always the universe is about to end um which, uh, the series yeah. 11 final was over on this alien planet and graham really <laughs> wants to yeah, kill this I, 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 I rather you know i would rather rather the universe about to end than uh, have to live through another episode of the battle of ranscore afkolos um <laughs> do you have that name in front of you because it's impressive that you can pull it out of your mind every time it's it's such an iconic name. I don't understand how you don't know have it memorized. That's the thing. Like I, it's one of those things where I've made the joke so many times that I just know the episode title now. Like, you know? See, it, 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 it's like how people can pronounce the Slovene home planet name perfectly, but I would stumble yeah. it on every time. So I don't even try. Do you know the name off by heart? Oh Christ, Raxa. Um, Plaxo, Torius, almost. Oh God, no! There was definitely a time in my Doctor Who fandom where I would have been able to do it. I can like <laughs> hear it in my head, but I can't. Like, I know I'm not gonna. I'm gonna miss something, so I'm not gonna attempt it yeah, right now. I, I don't I, remember it fully. When I pronounced it, there was it, I feel there like was, a, there was one time. Yeah. yeah, there was one time where I definitely could have done it. Um, but yeah, um, this but... episode, I love the concept of every villain teaming up against the doctor because they're like yeah this guy is really dangerous because you know he time travels he every keeps beating week us and... up yeah <laughs> like keeps... he's like like of course people would be like yeah this this guy with a time machine is a bit dangerous isn't he like even good guys would be like that you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but of course he's a good guy <laughs> but of course the Daleks are like oh, you're, you're going to destroy the universe and the Doctor's like no the TARDIS is exploding it's going to destroy the universe I'm not in the TARDIS and the Daleks are like only the Doctor could pilot the TARDIS <laughs> yeah because you know if a TARDIS dies that's a pretty big event you know, if the TARDIS dies and explodes, like that's gonna that's gonna do a lot of damage. So they need oh, they God. need to make sure that that doesn't happen. If the TARDIS ex like imagine God. if they blew up a TARDIS in the show, God, God, we, uh, we... imagine the destruction that would happen from that. We we need to do that New Year's Day special because we keep bringing it up. It's so it's, bad. There's so much to talk about in that episode. It's but such it's a bad so episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Um, but the original uh, but script ends with a stage direction. Uh, the whole screen burns out into nothing, a silence, then blackness, and across the blackness, as if splintering across the television screen, a, cro- a crooked smile crack. Which, this episode kind of does that, but kind of doesn't. It doesn't do the crack. It instead ends on a to-be-continued without any next-time trailer, which feels like it's trying to ape off of the end of a stolen earth but it's not as impactful i would say no it's not as impactful and i think that that's mostly because i don't believe the stakes yeah in this episode you know i don't i do not believe that the doctor is going to be trapped in a box um for the mm. eternity and the universe is going to end um and i don't know what it, i and maybe it's just because we're missing that human connection like we've kind of got it with the amy rory drama but we have it nowhere near the scale we had it in stolen earth and journey's end where you don't care like you don't believe ever that davros is going to destroy the earth and win but you do you're like are they going to make it out okay is everyone going to live is everyone going to escape you care about that personal dynamic which is what why you're hooked whereas this doesn't really have that personal dynamic besides the oh my god did amy just die you know what's going on with rory stuff the doctor with all his villains and the universe ending it's like oh this is a cool idea i can't wait mm-hmm. to see what the cool idea turns into it's not really yeah. like edge of the seat like oh gosh um but it's still it's still very good i don't want to make it sound like it's not yeah. very good it's very good I, I i do love the dip into silence at the end it, it is impactful yeah. that way but i you know at the end of stolen earth when the words to be continued appear on screen you get done Done, done. Kind of EastEnders kind of sound effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead, here it's just oh yeah, to be continued. And if you're if you blink or if you look away for a split yeah, second, you, you don't it. see yeah. the to be continued. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, no, it's still it's a solid episode. Yeah, and that that brings us that brings us to the end of the Pandora opens, which I think is. A very good episode that's not as good as I remember it being. I remember it being incredible, and instead it's, like, totally solid. You know, it's, like, completely fine, and almost a bottle episode. Almost exactly, almost entirely a relatively boring bottle episode, where it's Mm -hmm. just set up, you know? Um, Yeah, it's most of it is just padding, I would say, the stuff of a Cyberman, and a lot of just conversations about oh yeah i wonder what could fit in this box i'm sure it's the most important man in the universe whatever <laughs> like just a lot yeah. of foreshad- heavy foreshadowing and it's just yeah. a lot of waiting around for the cliffhanger which is a classic who kind of thing where you know a lot of classic who episodes is just sitting around waiting for that cliffhanger like you know <laughs> so it's a, it's a fine episode of performances are great the direction is pretty decent the writing is really strong from Stephen moffat of course but it's just not as impactful as it was when i was a kid you know it's just it's it just doesn't hit quite the same way as because you're just you know the ending and you're just waiting for it to happen it's kind of like an m night m night Shyamalan twist at the end where you can kind mm-hmm. of if you know the twist maybe the impact of every other scene doesn't quite hit because you're just waiting for a twist, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Uh, but still, I had a good time. I'm really looking forward to next week when we look at the Big Bang to conclude our look into Matt Smith's Is that era. the episode where Sheldon and... Cooper comes in and goes, Bazinga? Yeah, he yeah. says Bazinga. <laughs> um, 
and it's it's very funny and <laughs> everyone everyone claps and whoops um but it's it's i re- i don't really remember much from this episode so i'm i'm looking mm. forward to seeing what it's actually like um so yeah i look forward to that coming out next friday uh if you can you can you you can you can you can you can listen to this podcast anywhere you get podcasts in audio form and in video form we're in video form at youtube.com slash who watches who pod where you can see our wonderful beautiful lovely faces uh you can also listen to us in audio form on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, amazon music there's an rss link where you can plug us in to your podcast app of choice if you prefer to consume podcasts in audio form, which is the way that I like to consume them. I don't understand people that use video podcasts. Insane to me. Um, but, you know, video podcasts is, I think, more popular than audio podcasts, actually. Um, yeah, and we, recently, our our yeah. YouTube has become more popular than our audio. It used to be the other way around. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I guess moving to video does help with our YouTube views. Even for yeah. in in my head, it's even worse because people have to look at your face. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's in my head as well. Uh, but <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at Who Watches Who on X dot com at Watches Doctor. You can find my gaming channel Psychedelic Gaming Hobos. And until then, we will see you next week with the Big Bang. Bye bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>